All right, what is up, all you good, beautiful, wonderful citizens of Crypt Nation? It's your host, Bryce Paul, and we have a special announcement. Uh, if you guys have been tuning in, you will know that we have the Crypto 2020 Summit that we are hosting. Uh, this is going to be January 29th to January 31st. We got over 60 of the biggest, baddest speakers in crypto presenting on their projections for 2020, what their projects are going to be doing, all sorts of fun forecasts. It's going to really be amazing. And the best part of it all is it's free and it is online. So go ahead to www.crypto2020summit.com and register for your free ticket, and we hope to see you there. All right, what is up, all you good citizens of Crypt Nation? We have probably one of the most special guests that we've ever had on the show today, and we are honored to introduce you to him. Uh, I'm Bryce, your host. I'm joined by my compadre, Pizza Mind, as always. Say what's up, Pete. I put on my nice clothes for this interview, and that is to say I am wearing clothes. We are joined by the chief strategy officer of Blockstream, uh, who everybody who's listening to this owes a lot to. They are some of the core developers uh, for the Bitcoin core software that runs the Bitcoin that everybody knows and loves. Samson, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bryce. Thanks for having me. You are very welcome. And uh, let's just kick it off with... Um, I'm just super interested personally about like how you got into Bitcoin. You've been in the space for so long. And how did you evolve into your role uh, as a chief strategy officer at Blockstream? Right. So I guess I first uh, heard about Bitcoin, I think in 2013, just reading about it online. And I got involved, I guess, officially when I joined BTC China, which was the largest exchange at that time. I think Mt. Gox imploded and then a lot of people just moved over to BTC China. And we rebranded later on to BTCC, so you might have seen that name. But uh, it's uh, ramped down a lot since I've left, I think. And uh, in 2017, I joined Blockstream to focus on Liquid and getting Liquid launched. That's amazing. And and tell us a little bit about what Blockstream's role in the industry is. Uh, I think everybody's familiar with them, um, but what's the actual, you know, from the horse's mouth, what, what's the role? So typically we say we are a Bitcoin infrastructure company. And that could mean a lot of different things to different people. But for us, it means we're working on uh, augmenting Bitcoin. So a lot of our tech is at the base layer protocol stuff. But we also work on things like the Lightning Network. So we are one of the three major implementations with C Lightning. Um, But we do a lot of other stuff too. We have wallets, uh, a block explorer, basically things that we think can make Bitcoin more robust. And of course, Blockstream Satellite, which as another layer of redundancy to the Bitcoin network. So it doesn't depend on terrestrial internet. So just in case, you know, this is someone's first episode that they're listening to, would it be fair to say that Blockstream is to Bitcoin what McDonald's are to hamburgers? Like you just can't have one without (laughs) the other? I mean, you could say that. I mean, there's other companies that make hamburgers, but In and uh, Out makes yeah. way better hamburgers. Are you kidding me? McDonald's? But, but I mean, McDonald's is worldwide, you know, over billions and billions served. Well, we do focus on Bitcoin uh, predominantly. So uh, everything is somehow related to Bitcoin. We don't work on altcoins or enterprise blockchain stuff. Awesome. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, I, I've seen you speak at several conferences and I love how you talk about Bitcoin as a settlement network as opposed to what everybody thinks is a payments network. Um, and it's a concept that a lot of people don't really understand. So you, could you break down this idea for, for us? 
Sure. So Bitcoin's design is really to settle because a block is generated roughly every 10 minutes, but it is not necessarily 10 minutes. It could be more, it could be an hour sometimes, or sometimes even longer than that, or it could be three blocks in 10 minutes. And you can't really have a payments network that is so unreliable. You can't walk into a store, buy something for $1,000 and you guys wait there until it settles. It just doesn't work that way. At least I don't know any stores that would do that. So you could take a zero confirmation uh, result as a confirmation, but then that is not secure and it could be double spent. So by design, Bitcoin is not payments. If it was for payments, it would be lightning right now, but it's not. And I guess it has to do a lot with the name of the white paper because Satoshi Nakamoto said, you know, uh, peer-to-peer electronic cash. And I think a lot of people have forgotten what cash means. Cash is a bearer asset. If you have that cash in your hand, it's your cash. And while buying a coffee with cash is easy, it's cheap and free. Uh, I have like 10 bucks in my pocket. I go and spend it and I didn't lose anything. There's no friction. Sometimes people forget that if you wanted to move large quantities of money in cash, it would actually be very, very, very difficult. So if you wanted to move uh, $100,000 in cash, you'd need a backpack. If you wanted to move a million dollars in cash, you'll, you need an armored truck. So it, it, it gets very unwieldy the bigger it goes. So Bitcoin is largely cash. It's a bare thing. If you have Bitcoin, it's your Bitcoin. And it is better than cash because you know, it can be digitally transmitted, but have that same property. Speaking of cash, can you give us a comparison between sound hard money and easy fiat money? Sure. So I like to use gold comparison, and it just makes it easier for people to understand because everyone knows what gold is and that gold is valuable. Oh, nice cat. Um, so gold is sound money because it cannot be printed out of thin air, whereas fiat currencies can be printed at will. That's the definition of fiat, which is, you know, from nothing. But gold actually has to be mined. Uh, it needs to be processed and it needs to be secured. So that is a large amount of why it is sound money because it's not easy to get. Whereas fiat, it's easy to get. And just because people don't understand what money is these days, it's uh, easy to manipulate too because they can inflate the supply, uh, quantitative ease or repo or any number of tools to manage. And what are some metrics that you guys are using to track the success of the Bitcoin network? Well, I don't think uh, we at Blockstream are tracking the success of the Bitcoin network, <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of metrics that you can look at. You can look at on-chain transaction volume. Obviously, you can look at the price. Um, you can look at the market depth across exchanges. Um, a lot of people look at market cap but that's not really that meaningful. Market depth is a more interesting metric because it shows how much uh, you can actually buy and sell in aggregate. And I guess another metric could be transaction fees. So every day the Bitcoin network is paying miners uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in transaction fees. And that shows that it's healthy because eventually fees will need to replace the subsidy. What makes Blockstream so special in addition to all that is there's actually several usable live products now where 99% of everyone else in the crypto industry might be working still on their very first one. And one of the most important products that you guys have put out recently is the Liquid Network. 
Can you tell us about what the Liquid Network is and why it's important? Sure. So the Liquid Network is an inter-exchange settlement network. It's a way to move money quickly, move Bitcoin quickly between exchanges, as well as tokenized assets. So we have um, a way to issue an asset in Liquid. We're calling them issued assets or liquid assets. So you can have something like a stable coin, such as a USDT or Tether, or a Japanese yen stable coin, which is being worked on by one of our partners, as well as a Canadian dollar stable coin, uh, along with other tokens and assets too. So you can also do security tokens in Liquid, which would be controlled in certain ways through whitelists and with permissions, or a utility token, which could be used to, say, replace a game currency, which is also something being worked on by a company called Pixelmatic. But Liquid does a lot of different things, but what it ultimately is is fast settlement. And we have a lot of exchanges already integrated, along with uh, financial institutions, uh, OTC desks, brokers, and also companies that just want to do token issuance as well. But you can move Bitcoin quickly from exchange A to B. So we just announced, uh, Bitsy announced yesterday that they've integrated. So now you can move between Bitfinex and Bitsy uh, in two minutes, which is great for arbitrage opportunities or being able to take your funds off of exchange and store them in a wallet. So say Blockstream Green, which is our Bitcoin wallet, that supports Liquid as well. So you can put your money onto exchange, take it off when you're done trading, and you don't have to worry about the third-party risk, which is they have your money and you know, they're, they're vulnerable at that point. Um, you can move things on and off quickly. So say you got a margin call, uh, you uh -oh. want to move <laughs> funds back then you can do so quickly without having to wait for Bitcoin's blocks to come out every 10 minutes or so. So it kind of sounds like the Liquid Network is a replacement or a, maybe not a replacement, a augmentation or an analog to uh, the Ethereum Network. It seems like you could, so the Ethereum Network was cool because you could issue tokens, but it sounds like now you could issue tokens on top of Bitcoin via the Liquid Network. Or is that like a bastardization of what's going on? Well, it depends on what your definition of Ethereum is. So you can issue tokens in Ethereum, but I don't think that was their mission to to deliver out the gate. I think they had goals of be, being uh, the world computer and smart contracts and all that. But for all intents and purposes, they're just using the smart contracts to generate tokens. Mm. Um, I would more say Liquid is a tool for trading. Okay. Uh, because if you're moving funds from exchange to exchange, so like uh, BitC to BitPenX to BitMEX or whatever, you don't need to go back down to the trustless base layer, which is Bitcoin, because you're moving from custod custodian to custodian. So it works just as well without having to go back to the base layer, and it's faster and more reliable. And issuing things like stable coins on Liquid allows you to do single-chain atomic swaps, which mm -hmm. allows you to do trustless trades. So I can trade... Tether with uh, you, Bryce, for liquid Bitcoin. And there's no counterparty risk because we construct the transaction, we agree on the amounts, and then we broadcast it. And if both of us sign off on that transaction, then we just did a trade without having to trust. And that solves some problem for smaller OTC desks or traders that want to trade themselves because a large, large OTC is just offload the counterparty risk. They'll just say, you send me the the tether first, and then when we get it, we'll send you the Bitcoin. But this way, you can trade with people you don't necessarily trust. So overall, I would say Liquid is a tool for trade. Interesting. And then how do I get my... So I have, you know, I have one Bitcoin, right? And I want to put that one Bitcoin to become a liquid Bitcoin. How does that happen? So you can peg it in yourself if you're 
a bit technical. So you can run the software, it's all open source, or you just go to one of the exchanges that support Liquid and you say, uh, you deposit to them and you withdraw Liquid Bitcoin and they'll just send it to you. So what they're doing is they're treating Bitcoin and Liquid Bitcoin as if it was the same thing. So for an average user, uh, it's just a, it could be a fast transport layer or just a fast way to move coins into uh, liquid format and store them on your own uh, software or wallet. That's super cool. So one BTC equals one LBTC. Yes. So you can only create liquid Bitcoin by pegging in Bitcoin from the main chain. So uh, locking it up essentially. Okay. Very cool. And so another thing that I, I heard you say, I think it was in San Fran blockchain week was that you consider uh, liquid to be like layer one and a half, like layer 1.5 and lightning is layer two. But then you said you, there's also rumblings of layer three. So can we break down like why this is 1.5, what lightning network is and why that's two. And then like theoretically, what could be three? I know that's a lot packed in there, but take a crack. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's kind of hard to, it's getting harder and harder to contextualize it in terms of which layer is what. But obviously Bitcoin is layer one. And then you have stuff above Bitcoin. We used to say liquid was a layer two, just like lightning is a layer two uh, because it is off-chain transaction. But that's gotten more complicated because now you can have a lightning network on top of liquid. So you can have a lightning, net, lightning network for liquid Bitcoin, but you can also have a lightning network for, say, Tether or Japanese Yen Stablecoin or CADcoin which uh, makes it a bit lower down. So we decided, Adam and I, Adam back and I thought it makes sense to say it's 1.5 because it's closer to the base layer than say lightning. And then layer two could be lightning on top of both Bitcoin and liquid. But you could also say layer three could be channel factories. I'm not really sure how it's all going to play out in the end, but a channel factory is just a, a way to create more uh, lightning channels. Uh, you could, because the, the lightning channels you create from a lightning factory channel can also act as a lightning channel itself. So I'm not sure if you could say channel factories are layer three or if it's like a, a layer one point something <laughs> higher than 1.5, but less than two. It's definitely a new term for me. I've, I've never heard the term channel factories. Audience, you will be quizzed on this at the end, so pay attention. <laughs> So, so Samson, I, I'm pretty curious, um, besides uh, Bitcoin, which is you know, the most important thing in the crypto industry, bar none, in my opinion, and I assume in your opinion as well, um, but are there any aspects of, let's just call it generally the blockchain industry that you think are, that you're bullish on, that you think are worthwhile aside from Bitcoin? Well, I think a lot of enterprise-y blockchain use cases are not very practical. Um, they're trying to find a problem to solve with technology, which never really works out in the long run. In the short run, you can convince some companies to invest in it. And we see a lot of that happening. And we see a lot of projects just aimlessly trying to find a use case for their solution. Uh, but if you talk about the broader crypto ecosystem, you have Liquid, which has security tokens. And I think using uh, blockchains or sidechains to focus on financial use cases, especially related to settlement and removing trust or minimizing trust from the equation is a good use case of the technology. And uh, that's also a large part of what we're trying to do at Blockstream with something like, say, Liquid Securities, which is a uh, platform that lets you manage liquid tokens and be compliant with uh, different regulations in different jurisdictions. 
Interesting. So you guys have so much going on over there. What is something that you wish was being built right now that Blockstream actually isn't building? Maybe something that you've thought of when you were falling asleep and you're like, that's not really in our scope, but it'd be really cool if. Well, I, I don't know. We do so much at Blockstream. It's hard to, I actually wish we were doing less so we could focus more of our resources, but I, I can't really think of anything that I wish was being built. I kind of wish we had privacy at the base layer of Bitcoin, but in recent days, there was a little bit of discussion of that on Twitter, I think prompted by Charlie Lee and Litecoin uh, working on Mimblewimble. And people were saying, you know, it should never go into base layer Bitcoin because it's too risky, etc. But I think uh, some improvements in privacy for Bitcoin would be better for everyone if uh, we could do it safely and with acceptable trade-offs. eToro is one of the largest trading platforms in the world with over $1 trillion in trading volume on the platform every year. And they're some of our good friends, and they're a great sponsor. U.S. customers can trade the most popular crypto assets, and your fees are extremely transparent. So if you're not ready to trade yet, uh, you could also practice building your portfolio with the eToro virtual trading feature. They give you $100,000 of virtual money, and you could start playing around with it and not have to risk any of your real money before you get comfortable with the markets. And best of all, you can connect with 12 million other eToro traders around the world, kind of like a social network for trading, to discuss charts and all things crypto. So go ahead, create an account today at eToro.com slash crypto 101. That helps us, that helps you, that helps them, and makes everything possible here if you guys use that link. So guys, start building your portfolio the smart way eToro is crypto trading made easy. All right, back to the show. And could you think this is kind of like playing a devil's advocate in the question, but you know, is there anything that could happen to the Bitcoin network that would cause in you or in the community an existential crisis that would, you know, cause you to walk away from the project, count as a failure? Um, and you know, maybe, you know, talk a little bit about the inflationary bug that was discovered in Bitcoin earlier this year and like if that was exploited like would that really jeopardize the entire project well definitely inflation bugs are a killer and i don't think that was exploited they caught it early enough on but i'm not really sure that would be a reason to you know give up on bitcoin i think that could be fixed and Obviously, there would need to be consensus, but there could be consensus to resolve that even if there was inflation, I think. But the bigger thing for me would be uh, companies or businesses co-opting Bitcoin itself. So an attack that would make me want to walk away would be if Segwit2x thing did happen and uh, something else was deemed to be Bitcoin that has different consensus rules because that for me is just eliminating all reason for having Bitcoin. If someone can modify the rules and a group of individuals or businesses can dictate what happens with the network. Yeah, I remember when that when that whole thing was happening, it was a pretty scary time because, you know, a lot of us were, you know, had just come into the space 2016 and 2017, we start hearing about big blocks versus small blocks and then user activated soft forks and then people got hats on and we're like, whoa, what's going on? I got no clue who to believe because there's just so many different things. So that's when, for me personally, that's when I really started taking the deep dive. I was like, wow, this stuff is so layered and there's so many questions that I 
don't have answers to that I need to start doing my research. And I kind of came out on the side of like, oh, okay, well, you can't just make the blocks exponentially big because if you start doing that, then nobody could actually run their own node and then that defeats the entire purpose. And so could you kind of walk us through like your strategy? I felt like you were kind of like the general of that whole user activated soft fork army, if you will. Um, Cause that's where I first remember seeing your face and like, what, how are you rallying the troops and like, for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. was what was the messages that you were sending uh your army well i think there were a few generals there was there was definitely a lot of people trying to educate and to coordinate and counter a lot of the narrative slash fud at the time and i i can totally emphasize empathize that for someone just new to the space that would be totally confusing and i think uh the simplicity of the messaging on the big block side is a large part of why they got an edge because their message appealed a lot to, I guess, new, new people or people that didn't do that deep dive because on the surface, it makes a lot of sense. Like we need to do something because otherwise we can't scale. And obviously we make this bigger and it's better for everyone. But Bitcoin is not a lot a lot of how Bitcoin works is very counterintuitive. It's a consensus-driven system where everyone agrees and nobody is in control. You can't say developers go and do this, which was a lot, also like a, a common narrative at that time, which was the devs aren't doing something, but the devs can't do anything because it is a consensus system where people opt into the rule set. So I think a large part of the, those generals like uh, me or others was just communicating how things work and trying to explain it simply so that everyone can understand it and come to the same conclusion that this is one bad and two, it's not going to work. Do you think that there might be any major update to Bitcoin core that might enable more privacy or something like that? I know you guys are really limited to stuff that's backwards compatible as well. So that kind of ties your hands as far as, you know, different ideas and things you can implement. Um, can you give us any insight as to if there will ever be a consensus in actual Bitcoin core will update with a new feature? It's hard to say. I mean, if people want it, ultimately it will make its way in. I think uh, there is a way to soft fork in CT um, to Bitcoin. But again, it depends on what people want. But I don't think it is as pressing right now because you do have CT and liquid. And that's also why I say it's a tool for trading because your your type asset types being transferred and the amounts are confidential. So it protects your privacy. It stops people from front running you. You know, there are those bots that say, you know, so-and-so, someone deposited 100,000 Bitcoin to this exchange. Well, you can go and trade against right. them. You can't do that with Liquid. So it is privacy preserving in that aspect. And you have things like the Lightning Network, which make it much more private too because you have uh, onion routing. And it's a better privacy overall uh, compared to on-chain transactions because it's all off-chain and there's no ledger to trace. So I, I don't think it's like a 
urgent thing to do, but it would be a nice thing to have at the base layer of Bitcoin. But I don't think it's going to be easy to get it just because it should never be easy to do anything to Bitcoin. It should always be hard mm. and there should be very high requirements for making sure nothing breaks. That's a great answer. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree that that makes me feel a lot more secure uh, holding my value in something that is hard to change. That's the point, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of what we all signed up for uh, the original vision, right? So uh, kudos for you guys for, for holding true to that. Um, so I, I kind of have a question. I've got a couple questions. And, you know, one of the questions I just thought of wasn't in the outline. So this is just kind of off the cuff, but paper settled and, and cash settled futures, do those actually have an impact on the on the price? And I've been hearing a lot of discussion about how like it actually like effectively inflates the supply of Bitcoin because now you could trade a product that is tied to the price of Bitcoin, but you don't actually have to settle in the transmission of a private key. What are your thoughts on that if you have any? Well, I think, so are you talking about institutional exchanges doing those kind of settlements or? Yeah, I'm talking about like the CME and then Bact just said that they're going to launch paper settled futures and derivative products like that as well. I think ultimately there's a place for everything. It goes, it's similar in vain to the discussion about should there be uh, custodial wallet services? And I think there should be because there will be people that don't want to deal with holding their private keys themselves. And I think largely those uh, markets, those futures markets um, are good because it allows for more capital to come into the Bitcoin ecosystem. Um, There's definitely a demand for it. If you look at back, their volumes are growing steadily. A lot of people counted them out initially because, you know, there's a couple of Bitcoin being traded and they laugh. But it takes time to build up those marketplaces. But it is definitely a venue that people do want to come and trade in. Uh, but like the custodial wallet thing, I don't, if everyone was trading on that, then it's a bad thing. So if everyone is using a custodial wallet, I think they can serve their marketplaces. But as long as people are still using Bitcoin in a, you know, own your keys way, then it'll still perform its uh, function in society. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We were just talking about that a little bit earlier on the weekly fire, what the pros and cons are of paper settled futures versus Bitcoin settled futures. And I also mentioned that uh, Bitcoin's not just a store of value, but it's also a unit of account. And if you have a huge 8,000 employee company, you can't suddenly change your accounting system just to bring in something new. You you have to settle in US dollars. Mm-hmm. Just just how it is. But that's okay. And I feel like um, anything that brings more attention to Bitcoin is ultimately a good thing. Mm-hmm at this stage uh, in crypto, you know, for better or for worse, I think. That's just my opinion. Ultimately, Bitcoin is super resilient. I think it just takes everything that's thrown at it and it just makes it stronger. So like more exposure is one thing, having it available on BACT, on the CME, it's it's good. Um, Even the Segwit2x thing was a, a net positive, I think, at the end, because that was kind of Bitcoin's trial by fire. Like it was a test. Is it going to stand up to being controlled or not. And that sends a really strong message to people in the future that would try to co-opt it or control it. So largely, Bitcoin just takes all the FUD, all the attacks, and just makes itself stronger. Yeah, it's, uh, I remember reading a book by Talib, Nassim Talib, I think, and he talk, calls it anti-fragility. Is, is yeah. that what you're talking about? 
Yes. Like, what, like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. All right, cool. I love that. You know, you know, one of the other things that is going to be getting a shit ton of media attention uh, is the halvening or the having where the inflation schedule and the block reward get cut in half. And that happens. It, it's going to happen every four years and it is going to happen about May 2020. Um, so you've been around for a few of these, I imagine, and I'm sure that you've studied them. So what typically should we expect? Should the, uh, the good citizens here at Crip Nation expect going into the happening, maybe the f- couple months leading into the happening and coming out of the happening? Like what should we expect? It's hard to say because, uh, Bitcoin right now is very different from Bitcoin in 2016, which was the last having, um, if you look at how the price behaved for the last one, it was largely flat. It went up a little bit before the halving, and then it was flat for a good couple months, and then it picked up steam afterwards. And I think it has to do with lack of awareness about what the halving actually means. Um, but now, like 20, the 2020 halving is probably going to behave differently than uh, that the last one because a lot more people are aware of Bitcoin. There are a lot more venues for people to trade, and there's just more awareness of how it works in general. So it, it's hard to predict. Like uh, people are talking about the price being ha- uh, priced in and having being priced in or not, and I honestly don't know. I, I think it's not priced in, but uh, it, it's really hard to predict what's going to happen with this one because it's a different ballgame. What's a having look like from a miner's perspective? Is it where you wake up one day and your paycheck's cut in half and you're panicking? Or is there really some kind of, you know, underlying understanding that, well, eventually the asset's going to be worth twice as much so I don't have to worry about turning off my rigs or equipment? Is there any potential danger to the security of the Bitcoin network if, you know, a lot of these rigs do get shut off after the having takes place until the price, you know, at least equals out. So you're talking about the mining death spiral, right? Yes. I forgot who said that. <laughs> exactly. Was that a uh, was that Schiff or was it uh, Nuriel? Both. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I would say only a bad miner would be caught off guard. Uh, a good miner would be fully aware, and they would have co- low costs to mine a Bitcoin. And you technically should be. I guess, working on a model of uh, first in, first out. So it largely depends what the business model of that mining operation is. But if you're mining Bitcoin and you're not selling it immediately, then you would have a store of Bitcoin mined at a certain price. So later on at the halving, you would be able to sell off some of your Bitcoin mined earlier on, and it would be valued at the price that you mined it at that time. So even if the price is down, you would be selling some of your older Bitcoin to cover the electrical costs at that time, but you've already gained on it. The other thing is a lot of miners are probably, it depends a lot on their, their cost basis too, but a lot of miners probably will be fully recouped after mining with the latest generation hardware by the time the having hits. So post having they're still making money and they've covered their cost already. So it's not really uh, a bad thing for them. But I, I think large, in large part, most miners are expecting the price to go up. And I don't think they're hoping it's going to double at the time of the halving. But they've planned and deployed their operations in a way that it's not going to be 
a major setback or a shock to their systems. Yeah, I feel like they kind of got into the game a long time ago, knowing exactly what was going to happen. And then, you know, they invest in all this illiquid hardware uh, for mining and running their operations. So I th- they probably know what they're getting into. Uh, I definitely think that. And, you know, another kind of uh, point, or maybe you have a, a good metric off, off the top of your head, is like how much of the supply is actually going to be, or how much sell pressure will be removed uh, from the market after the halving? Is that, is that a fair question? It's hard to say. Like, there are miners that probably are mining Bitcoin instead of buying Bitcoin. So they may not even be selling it. I think there was a discussion on Twitter before, which I said, as soon as Bitcoin is mined, it's basically on the market because they don't need to sell it. You could buy miners instead of, of buying Bitcoin if right. you want to. If you have low electrical costs and you have uh, efficiencies of operation, then you don't need to buy it because you can mine it for cheaper depending like unless you bought the miners at the the same price that bitcoin was 20k then <laughs> then you're, you're kind of screwed. but <laughs> if you're if you're mining to buy bitcoin it's the same thing as buying bitcoin so nice. that's i mean yes you could say some sell pressure is removed because there are fewer coins coming on the market but i think the net effect would be roughly the same what what's like this is kind of another one that we didn't talk about in the in the pre-interview but what's a good metric to see like net inflow of like fresh capital or fresh demand or or is there for bitcoin well every day there's uh 1800 bitcoin worth of capital technically flowing in just to maintain a stable price oh i really think about it from that way those coins are being taken off the market either they're sold on an exchange or a miner is hodling them, which is the same thing as buying them because they bought mining rigs. Uh, so I think stable prices mean the net influx of capital is like whatever it is, like uh, 1,800 times what's the price? 7,500 or something. 7,500, yeah. so a couple million dollars. Um, and when the price is going up, obviously there's more demand, so that capital influx is higher. Awesome. That's super helpful. That's something that I never really like put two and two together. I kind of feel like an idiot, but awesome. Thank you for elucidating that. Well, I forgive you. (laughs) So there's a lot of people that are listening now and they're probably thinking, you know, it's way out of reach to buy Bitcoin miners, but they might want to contribute to securing the Bitcoin network or at least participating in some way or form. What's the easiest way for the average person to run their own Bitcoin node? Huh, that's a tricky one. I mean, it depends on how technical you are. It's technically not very hard to run a Bitcoin node. You just download Bitcoin Core and install it, sync up, and you're done. Uh, But a lot of people, I guess they don't want to use their computer to do it um, or whatever reason, or they don't have an old computer to spin one up on, so they would want to buy something like a a Noddle or a, a Casa box or something they can just plug in play out of the out of the box i i guess it depends like for me i think i could just run it on an old machine and that would be the easiest thing but for some people it might just be buying this uh node in a box awesome that makes a lot of sense um so to wrap up there's there's three questions that we like to ask every guest that comes on the show um the first one is of everybody that you've run into in the space and that you've talked to you know if you had to single out one person who's made a lasting impression, maybe intellectually, maybe academically or business, 
Um, who, who, who's made such an impression on you that's really changed the way that you think? I would have to say Adam Back, uh, the CEO of Blockstream. So back during the scaling debate slash civil war, uh, I was actually on the big block side for a while. Not really, but leaning no. more towards it. Yes. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's why I understand. You're born again. <laughs> yeah. That's why I understand the thinking of that because it's a very simple logic that it seems rational on the surface, but underneath that, it's much more nuanced and much more complex. And Adam actually took the time to explain a lot of that nuance and complexity to me and helped uh, me to understand. And that's why I fought very hard against those hostile forks because I knew there's probably people that thought the same way that I originally thought that didn't fully understand the nuance. Very, very interesting. Uh, if this was the very first podcast that someone was getting into crypto, they had stumbled on it by typing crypto into iTunes and you know, we just happened to be the first thing that popped up, for example, what's some advice that you would give them getting into crypto today? Huh. I would suggest uh, buying Bitcoin. Because I think a lot of people that go into crypto get into shitcoins very easily because they're looking for gains. They don't understand uh, that a Bitcoin is just a arbitrary unit of you know, Bitcoin itself. You can go much smaller into uh, MBTC or <laughs> bits and sats. But they just look at the thing, look at the price and think, wow, that's so expensive. I'll try to buy something else. But I think uh, buying Bitcoin helps because then you start to understand, uh, you start to go through the process of uh, realizing what makes Bitcoin Bitcoin. And it should help inoculate you against uh, aiming for quick gains from buying XRP because it's cheap. <laughs> I love that. And it's also like, that's another one of the things, like no matter who I tell, uh, you know, just go buy Bitcoin. Well, it's too expensive. I can't drop 7,000 bucks. I'm like, Every single time I'm so amazed that people don't understand you could buy $1 worth of Bitcoin, a fraction of Bitcoin, right? And it's just every time I tell somebody that and they discover that for the first time, it's so exciting for me because I was like, I just won over one more person, like somebody yep. who had no idea how it works. That's great. <laughs> the so, decimal point is the devil. I think there needs to be a marketing campaign about that because it's the most confusing thing about Bitcoin is where that decimal place is. Mm -hmm. And it really changes people's perspective from a yes or a maybe to a no in so many instances. Well, and a lot of the shitcoins capitalize on that, right? Yeah. So they just print a uh, hundred billion tokens and they see, oh, it's only uh, 25 cents, but there's a hundred billion of these and there's 21 million Bitcoin. But exactly. a lot of people can't do that math. Yeah, a lot of people don't have the, the sophistication of understanding how to calculate a market cap just by multiplying the circulating supply by the price. And people are just like, oh, it's 25 cents. Bitcoin is 25 cents at one time. This thing's going to go to a thousand bucks. Like, dude, you need more medication. We're talking uh, <laughs> about you, XRP Army. <laughs> uh, and the last question we like to ask everybody that comes on the show, um, and to avoid any conflicts of interest, we're not going to say any company that you're invested in or any company that you work for, but what's a company that you think is having a substantial impact on the blockchain space and why? Well, uh, blockchain space, I don't know. But for the Bitcoin space, I think uh, Square is doing a lot of great stuff. So Jack Dorsey, um, they're making it easy for people to, to get Bitcoin with their cash app. And that is one way to overcome that challenge. And they're not offering shitcoins. So if you want to get into you know, crypto, quote unquote, then it's Bitcoin. So it's kind of this rail funneling people into Bitcoin and letting them buy small amounts of Bitcoin 
which is, is exactly what we talked about that is important, getting into it and starting to understand it. Amazing. That, yeah, I love uh, I love the Square app and Jack Dorsey. I love seeing him on Twitter uh, talking about Bitcoin and stuff. So that's really exciting. Samson, thank you so much for spending uh, 45 minutes with us today here on Crypto 101. Uh, if the good people of Crypt Nation want to stay in contact with you, uh, what's your Twitter handle and what's a, a website we could point them to? Sure. Uh, on Twitter, my ID is Excelion, Excel Lion, and website, uh, I guess, blockstream.com. We've got a lot of good information there about all the things we're doing and the products that we have. Amazing. Thank you so much, Samson, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Great chat. Crypt Nation, just a friendly neighborhood reminder to go to www.crypto2020summit.com and register for your free conference pass to the online summit, Crypto 2020 Summit. We got 60 speakers who are giving their bold predictions for prices and bold predictions for uh, technological developments in this crazy crypto space. So if you want to be the first to know the big news and you want to make sure that you're in touch and in tune, go to Crypto2020Summit.com right now and register for free. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.